0: Good evening, everyone. It is good to see you tonight. I'm glad you're here. Glenn and I have been attending your church for about four months, and it's now our church. We just finished Mount Airy, um, uh, Discover Mount Airy, I think is the name of it. Thoroughly enjoyed that, and we moved our membership here, so we're now brothers and sisters in a local congregation. Good to have you. Thank you. Now, I am glad you're here because you could have used the fact that your pastor's out of town as an excuse not to come. You could have done that. And the fact that you're here tells me one of two things. It tells me that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, that you want to know God better, to serve Him more, and to love Him more. And so you you take advantage of every opportunity to be where the Word of God is opened up and taught. And I pr- praise you for that desire. It's from the Holy Spirit within you, and I praise you for that. Or it could be that you're trying to earn your way to, to heaven <laughs> instead of accepting the grace that found in Jesus Christ by attending church on Sunday night. I'm sure that's not it, but for whatever reason you're here, I am glad you're here. I, before I get started, I want to tell you why we're we at your church why we're part of your church now. What drew us to your church is the preaching of your pastor, of my pastor now, of our pastor. He handles the word properly. He proclaims it clearly, concisely, and with passion. And I like that. And I would encourage you, my guess is you already do this, but just in case, I would encourage you to cherish your pastor. You are blessed to have a man like him. You truly are. A lot of churches don't have anyone like him. And right now, he probably needs your prayer very much, because this year has been a busy one for him because he's uh, president of the state convention. And right now, he's away on a trip. He's pastor of a church that's doing a lot of good things. He's busy. And I assure you, Satan's not leaving him alone. Satan doesn't do that, okay? So please, be in prayer for him and cherish him. Let him know that, okay? Now tonight, as we break open the Word, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Now tonight, I want to talk to you about, or expand the scripture to you by, under this topic, living by God's possibilities. Now, before we get started, I'm going to ask, if you will, to bow with me let's have a word of prayer, okay? Father, I ask that you would honor us tonight by drawing us to yourself. You've already indwelled us through the Spirit, by the grace of Christ, and we thank you for that. Father, we desire to love you greater, to know you better, to serve you more fully. So we ask that you use tonight, that you would do just that, not because we're worthy, because we certainly are not, but because of your love and grace in Jesus Christ, because it is your heart to draw us to you. And we surrender to your desire to love us and to care for us. May the words be clear tonight. May they be used by your Spirit. And may you be revealed. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, if you look with me in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 18, I'm going to read our scripture. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. And then Abraham rushed off and made the preparation for the meal and served it, and then we pick up in verse 9. Here, Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) That is kind of funny, isn't it? Long before all the bad stuff came out about Bill Cosby, he was known as an accomplished comedian. His forte was telling stories and doing skits. And he had a somewhat famous skit about Noah and the Lord, their conversation. Any of you heard that or seen that? Yeah, you remember that? Near the end of that skit, he has Noah finally fed up. He is not about to build a silly-looking ark that takes up his whole front yard and makes him the laughingstock of his neighborhood. And so Noah says, I'm just not going to do it. And then you hear the voice of God. Noah, how long can you tread water? And with that, that does it. Noah hustles to work building the ark. The audience laughs, and we get the message. Nobody mocks God. Nobody refuses God, and certainly nobody laughs at God. But you know, scripturally, that is not true. Both Sarah and Abraham laughed at God. Sarah did so in the scripture I just read to you. Abraham, if you look back in in chapter 17, verse 17, he laughed about the same subject. And why not laugh? What they were told was impossible. Abraham was over 100 years old, and Sarah was over 90, and they were told they would conceive and have a son born unto them. The only word they could think of was impossible, so they laughed. But please understand something. Their laughter must have had a bitter tinge to it, because they had longed for a son. They wanted what they had been told to be true, They had wanted a son for a long time. In fact, in chapter 15, verse 2, Abraham complained to God. He said, I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household. So you you see with their laughter, what they're saying is, oh, I wish it could be possible. But it's not. It's not. But then the Lord asked a piercing question. You see, in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that question changed the whole situation for Abraham and Sarah. They began to feel a little fear and shame. They stopped laughing, and they opened their lives to what God could do. And Isaac was born. Now, I submit to you this evening that there's a lot of people in our world that laugh at God. Of course, we know lost people, they laugh at God every day. We know that. Those that don't know the Lord, they are always laughing at God. But I submit to you that even we believers laugh at God very often. It's a sad truth, but it is true. A situation arises Uh, It looks impossible to us. It's a very difficult situation, and God moves to to us. He says, I can handle this situation. I can change the situation. I can change you. Just trust me. Just follow me. I can do that. But we can't see any possible way that the situation is going to get any better. So we go on fretting and struggling and making a mess of our situation. Or we may ask God to help us, but we go on fretting and struggling and making a mess of our situation. And all the while, God is saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, when we laugh at God, you know what we're really doing? We're limiting our own lives. We're limiting what God can bring to us and give us. We're living life by our own limitations rather than by God's possibilities. How do we stop doing that? How do we as believers stop judging life by what we can do rather than by what God can do? How do we do that? Well, the very easy answer to that is when well, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you ex- accept him as Lord and Savior, trust that he died on the cross that you may know God, and he brings the Holy Spirit to you. And then you obey the Holy Spirit and he changes your heart. That's true, but, I, but in order for that to happen, we as believers, with the Holy Spirit within us, have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We have to let Him do His work in us. Now, the best way to do that is to understand what the Holy Spirit is about and just cooperate with Him. Let Him know. If you know what He's about, it's a whole lot easier to let Him do His work. So I submit to you tonight that the Holy Spirit leads us in three avenues to help us live by God's possibilities. Now, I want you to understand something. What I'm about to tell you tonight are not three steps that you listen to, you memorize, and you go out and do. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, these are three ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the truths He leads us to, the the attitude of heart that he has us grow in till we trust God to live by his possibilities. Now, what are they? Well, the first one is this. He guides us to let God be God. Let God be God. You know, if we're not very careful we will assign our limitations to God and make Him in our image rather than allow Him to be who He truly is, the God of the whole universe. That's what Sarah and Abraham did. They thought, well, if we can't cause the baby to come about, certainly God can't. And we think to ourselves, if I can't handle this, this uh, tough situation, how can God? At least that's the way we think. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26? He told the disciples, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples were shocked by what he said and said, well, then who can be saved? And he said this. He said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But if we're not careful, we will make God in our own image and we'll ascribe to him our limitations with disastrous results. Some years ago, I found something that someone else wrote, an anonymous writer. I don't know uh, when he wrote it or anything about him, to be honest with you. But I think it presents this truth in a wonderful way. He wrote this. I made God from out of the stuff of my own mind and fashioned him in a form and temper as I pleased. He was a work that anyone might feel great pride to own intelligent, balanced, finely framed to suit the patterns of my age. But when I turned to him for strength, as life about me fell to bits of disillusionment. He had no power to meet my need, since he was made by me, and not I by him. We have to let God be God in our lives. During 37 years of pastoring, I had what I'm about to tell you happened on several occasions. A Christian husband and wife comes in, and they have become so embittered with each other that they have become convinced that the only way to have any peace in life is to end the relationship. Now, God comes to, because they're Christians, God, all along, was trying to say to them, listen, I can change this hurting situation. I can change you, I can change the other ber- person, I can change this in this situation, just trust me, just follow me. But one or both of them cannot see any possible way that the relationship can be reconciled. So they conclude that the only peace they'll ever have is to end the relationship. Oh, they may go to a counselor. But by the time they go to the counselor, they have already made up in their hearts and minds that the only way out is divorce. The only hope of happiness is divorce. And the counselor soon understands that And he realizes he can't help them except maybe to help them separate with as little anger and hatred as possible. And all the while, God is saying, is anything too hard for me? There are so many situations in which we assume that God can't do anything beyond what we can see. This is true in parent-child relationships. It's true in job crises. It's true in uh, financial problems and illnesses, in witnessing and taking on some responsibility in the church. There are so many, in so many things, we can't visualize any possibilities outside of our own resources. But the truth is this. This is the biblical truth. Spoken by our Lord. If anything is too hard for your God, He is not Yahweh, the God that Jesus came to reveal and to open the way unto so that we could live in relationship with Him. For Jesus did not say that some things are possible with God. Jesus said all things are possible with God. So we've got to let God be God and quit assigning to Him our own limitations. He doesn't have those. The second way that the Holy Spirit leads us to grow is we let God into our daily lives. Now, Sarah and Abraham lived under the old covenant. Now, you know what that means? That means they related to God through the sacrificial system. And the Holy Spirit did not indwell them. There wasn't a warm relationship with God. Now, they knew him as God. And they worshipped him, and they even served him in many ways. But the Holy Spirit wasn't there. It's not like we are here today. You see, Jesus came, and he established a new covenant. He came to reveal to us, fully reveal to us, the living, unchanging, all-powerful God who is full of grace and truth. He came not only to reveal God to us, but to open the way for us to have a loving, daily Relationship with it. That's the new covenant. And we live underneath that covenant now. See, he died and rose again so that we could know God intimately. Walk with him on a daily basis. Love him with our whole beings and know his love. Does anyone know? Let's see how well you know you. Screw. No, I'm not going to do that to you. Mike, don't do that. That's cruel. 1 Peter three eighteen says this. It says, Christ, I have to look. My mind went blank. I'm sorry. Uh, let me find it. Here. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us unto God. Now, what that means is not to bring us unto God just to know about him. It means to relate to him on a daily, out of a daily loving relationship. God desires to be a part of our daily lives. He wants that, but you have to let him in and not push him out. How do we do that? Well, I submit to you, the Holy Spirit has many things, many ways of doing that, but two of his greatest movements in our life is one, a strong devotional life. See, when you have a strong devotional life, you're inviting God into your life. You're sitting, setting your mind and heart upon God every single day. That's what you're doing. Now, that's one thing I love about your pastor. He knows what a strong devotional life can do for you. I've got a lot of religious education. You know that? I've been to a religious college to religion and Bible. I've been to two seminaries, studied under some of the greatest men in the world as far as teaching the Bible and knowledge of God. But all that education does not bring me closer to God like a personal devotional life every day. In fact, without that personal devotional life, all that education is, is not even a tool in God's hand. It is that personal walk with God that enables that to be used by him. So more than all of that, it's a strong devotional life. Now, and one thing your pastor does is he helps you understand how to have one. How many of you have taken the class, Mount, Discover Mount Airy? Okay, you know he talks about the soap. Uh, approach, and that's a very good approach, and I would recommend it to you. There's a lot of approaches, but I want to talk to you about a devotional life just a little bit different, not how you do it, as much as what's taking place. See, when you have a devotional life, in the beginning, it's all about learning. It's all about trying to get to know more about God, more about His will for your life, and all of that. You, you're trying to learn, and that's good, and when you're in that stage, please, Think about the one sentence God wants you to hear. Because God speaks to us in, one sen- in sentences. He doesn't speak to us in long sermons. Well, why are sermons so long, you ask? Because there's a lot of people listen to them. So there have to be a lot of sentences. You understand? Because He applies one sentence to you. And you need to listen for that one sentence that He wants you to take home in your devotional life. Do that. It means the world to you. Record it so you can look back over it sometime. But you know, after you have a devotional life for a while, it moves from learning to experiencing. Experiencing God. Your heart begins to long for that. Let me see if I can illustrate what I mean. I'm an early riser. I get up a little earlier than my wife does. She likes to sleep a little bit later. And I usually get up and leave the room, close the door so I can get a cup of coffee, not a cup of coffee, but hot tea. And do my thing, you know? But sometimes, before I get out of bed, I'll just turn over and I'll look at her as she sleeps. And all that she is and all that we've been together comes rushing into my heart as I watch that sweet thing sleep. Now, she's not always a sweet thing, but when she sleeps, she is, okay? <laughs> She'll tell you I'm not always a sweet thing either. But, but as I look at her sleeping there, my heart gets full sometimes. I end up praising God just for her. You see, I'm experiencing my wife. She doesn't even know it in those moments. That's what I'm talking about experiencing God. There's a sense of just knowing he's, there. He loves you. His grace surrounds you. And you worship. You worship. So that's one way that the Holy Spirit, we invite God into our daily lives. Uh, There's many ways. Another way is, and I think this is a big one, is recognizing the wonderful works of God all around you and celebrating the Holy Spirit guides us to do this. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, in all things, God works for good for those who love Him. God is always at work around us. He's always doing things for us and for other people all around us. And yet sometimes we ascribe what God does to other agencies, like it's a it was a chance, or it was a coincidence, or it was personality, or it was skill. That's not celebrating what God does. Years ago, I had uh, Reverend George die. He was pastor of Fort Mills Baptist Church at that time and a past uh, um, South Carolina president of our convention here in South Carolina. And I had him for a revival. And I was in North Carolina at the time, in Spindale, North Carolina, and it was about 50 miles from Asheville to the hospital. And I had to go to that hospital during that week of revival And it's a beautiful drive through the mountains, so I asked George if he'd like to go along with me. So he said yes, and so one afternoon that week, after lunch, we started on our way. Now, before we left, I knew I needed gasoline in the car. But I decided I'd wait down the road at this certain station that I stop at several times and just buy it there. Well, as we were going down the road, George and I started talking. And I forgot all about getting gas. And you guessed it. On the way back, in the middle of nowhere, with very little time to get back and get ready for the evening of revival service, going up a hill, we gave out a gas. And we had just enough speed to top the crest of the hill. And as we did, on the left-hand side of the road, there was a little country store with one gas pump out front. Nothing was coming in that lane, so we coasted right up to the gas pump and filled up. Now some will say, what a coincidence. Man, you were lucky. That's a bunch of bull, to use a theological word. That was God taking care of us and his work, even though I had been very foolish and irresponsible. And believe me, we celebrated it on the rest of the way home. I still remember it. I still celebrate it. God is always doing things like this. He's always at work, and He can use all kinds of things. He can use a doctor. He can use a billboard. He can use a song. He can use a gas station. He can use a check. Of course, He can use a sermon. God is using all kinds of things to do wonderful things in the lives of people. And we need to see it. Let the Holy Spirit show it to us and celebrate it. If we do that, it will cause us to learn something about his care for us and his power in this world. And we will invite him more into our daily lives. But the third way in which the Holy Spirit will move us after we've let God into our daily lives is he moves us to live beyond our comfort zone. See, all of us have built around us this artificial comfort zone. We have carefully constricted life around what we can handle in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power. We have carefully constricted life inside the boundaries of what we sure we can handle all by ourselves. And in reality, we don't need God. Because our fear of risk, risk has kept us away from anything that we cannot understand, or do in our own strength, own understanding. And I submit to you that each of us need to ask us if we want to listen to the Holy Spirit, which I think you do, we need to ask ourselves some very serious questions. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. These questions can be disturbing if this is the first time you've ever asked them. I doubt if it is for some of you. For others, it might be. But questions like these. What would you dare to attempt if you were sure that the Lord would intervene and help you? What have you avoided by saying, well, that's impossible? What have you stepped back from involvement in because you said, I just can't do that? So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. I remember the first time that I honestly faced these questions. I was a high school student and my pastor came to me and asked me to give my testimony in front of the whole church on a Sunday morning on Baptist Men's Day. Now, you have to understand something about me at this time. I had never successfully stood in front of a crowd and spoken. Now, back in grammar school, elementary school, as they call it now, back in elementary school, My teacher had me give a book report one time, and I was so petrified that even she felt sorry for me. She had other people give reports later in the year, but she never asked me again. And I had never stood in front of a group. And that incident incident in uh, elementary school was in the forefront of my mind. So when my pastor came to me and asked me to do it, I wanted to say no. But he was a very smart pastor, very wise. He said, I want you to pray a week and then give me your answer next Sunday. I could have shot him. That week, God and I had a very serious conversation. No, I didn't hear an audible voice. I'm not crazy, okay? But God and I did talk. And in the first few days, you know what God said to me? Because I kept saying, God, you know I can't do this. You know what he said? He said, Mike, you're right, you can't do this. So for the first few days, I was ready to say no, but you know I didn't feel so good. It doesn't feel so good when God tells you you can't do something. But I was ready. But later in the week, God began to say something else. He began to say, Mike, you can't do it. So with my help, you can. And he had me confront a verse. Philippians 4.13. Anybody know what that says? I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he made me confront that verse and he asked, Mike, do you really believe that? Of course I said, oh God, of course I believe that. But you know me? I can't stand in front of a group. But then God asked the question of me, as a high school teenager. Mike, you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to live your life the way you want to or the way I want you to? Now, that's the same thing as we talking about tonight, just in a way that a high school student could understand it. Uh, are you going to live your life by your own limitations or by my possibilities? That's what God was asking. Now, how does a high school boy answer that? high school boy who loved the Lord. You say, no, oh God, I'm not going to do it. I finally said yes. It was later in the week, but I said yes, and I was petrified. Closer the day came, more scared I became. Walking up on the platform, I was shaking like this. But when I started speaking, a calmness came over. I cannot explain it. I spoke on how Christ was the foundation of my life, just like Paul said. No no greater foundation has a man laid except Jesus Christ. And everybody in the church was shocked about what came out of my mouth and how it came out of my mouth, including me. Now, I've got to be honest with you. i faced that question many times in my life. And there's been times when I just did not trust God. And I limited what God wanted to give me. I can think of two or three, maybe four times now as I look back over the years and I know there's some times that I probably don't even remember in this moment. But God is a gracious God. He keeps coming back and asking the same question. Are you going to live by your limitations or by my possibilities, Mike? And he keeps expanding the limits that I have put on my God is always leading us in new avenues. He's always stretching those limits that we've placed on our lives. You know why he does that? To make us live by faith. See, that's what living by faith is. If you've got everything carefully constricted so you can handle it, and you don't need God, you're not walking by faith. But if you're trying things that you have to have God to help you, then you walk by faith. You trust in Him. See, with God in our daily lives, we will live beyond our comfort zone. We'll face the questions like, what am I doing that I can't accomplish without an intervention from the Lord? What am I attempting that I know I cannot do unless God helps me? See, the truth is this, if God wants us to be something or to do something or attempt something, even if it appears that we fail, if God wants us to do that and we say, I can't, we are laughing at God, just like Sarah and Abraham. And we need to seriously answer his question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If you happen to be here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you to understand that Christ came to reveal the true God with whom nothing is impossible. He came to die and take your sin upon him so that you could be free to live in a loving relationship with this God. He's done that. And if you will surrender your life to Him, if you will let Him give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will move you to let God be God in your life. He'll move you to invite God into your daily life. And He will move you to live beyond that artificial comfort zone that you've built around you. And listen to me. Nothing is impossible with God, even your salvation. Nothing is impossible. Would you bow with me, please? Gracious Father, thank you for revealing yourself as the God with whom nothing is impossible. Forgive us when we have laughed at you. It hurts us to know that we have done so. But I thank you for being such a gracious God and continuing to use your people, continuing to... Expand our usefulness unto you. And Father, may we be willing to cooperate with your spirit in our lives. Having been here and heard the word, Father, may we be willing to walk with him and let him grow our relationship with you and our usefulness unto you. And Father, if there's one here, That does not know you. Give them courage to approach someone tonight. Someone that they may know is a believer. Or even myself. May we have the privilege of praying with them. As they come to know you. And we will rejoice in you. The God of all possibilities. Thank you for your love unto us. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to proclaim the Scripture to you, and I hope that you have a very good week. If you do need to talk to someone, please take that opportunity. Good night, everyone. Okay?